Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and we're heading into Easter week, and we do hope it's a blessed time for you and your family. Also, we're less than four weeks away from the 2021 Culture Summit, April 22nd and 23rd, both live in Nashville, but also virtually. It's a hybrid event. We just announced it last week on the show, as there were so many variables this year with COVID still an issue. But if you go to qideas.org, you can see all the information about the Culture Summit. Gabe and his wife, Rebecca Lyons, will join us later in the show. They're going to talk about this year's event and some of the innovations that will be part of it. It's a special year, too, here at Q. Gabe and his team started doing Q conferences 15 years ago this year. And I'm glad that he's calling this year's event the Cultural Summit because Gabe's heart is for the church to be at the forefront of influencing the culture around us for the common good and the gospel. But what does that mean? Well, 15 years ago, ahead of the first Q conference, Gabe wrote an essay entitled Influencing Culture, an Opportunity for the Church. Gabe recorded himself reading that essay, and it's available to subscribers of the Q Media platform at qideas.org. I want to start today's show with a portion of that essay. Let's listen in. The idea of culture shaping is widely debated. Most people, and until recently, myself included, implicitly believe that cultures are changed from the bottom up, and that to change our culture, we need more and more individuals possessing the right values and therefore making better choices. The problem is that it is only part of the solution. In a widely distributed briefing that was presented to the Trinity Forum called To Change the World by James Davison Hunter, he asserts, It is this view of culture that also leads some faith communities to evangelism as their primary means of changing the world. If people's hearts and minds are converted, they will have the right values. They will make the right choices, and the culture will change in turn. Hunter goes on to say, The renewal of our hearts and minds is not only important, it is essential, indeed a precondition for a truly just and humane society. But by itself, it will not accomplish the objectives and ideals we hope for. This could explain why Christianity, as it is practiced by many well-meaning, admirable Christians in the past decades, has failed to have significant traction. Cultures are shaped when networks of leaders representing the different social institutions of a culture work together towards a common goal. James Hunter goes on to say, Again and again, we see that the impetus, energy, and direction for changing the world were found where cultural, economic, and often political resources overlapped where networks of elites who generated these various resources come together in common purpose. What are the different social institutions of our culture that Hunter is referring to? They are the social institutions that govern any society, including business, government, media, church, arts and entertainment, education, and the social sector. Their combined output of ideas, films, books, theology, websites, restaurants, investments, social work, laws, medical breakthroughs, and technology drive an entire nation. The ideas and values they perpetuate sustain the moral fiber and social conscience of the culture. 
The people who lead these influential institutions have the opportunity to shape the ideas, thoughts, and preferences of millions of others. If Hunter is right, it doesn't take all that many people or time to witness dramatic shifts in the convictions and aspirations of a culture. And one of the most unique channels of cultural influence is the church. Few other institutions convene participants from so many other areas of society. When Christians embrace the common goals of both redeeming cultures and individual souls, the possibilities for positive cultural influence dramatically increase in four ways. First, it only takes a few. Numbers aren't important. Long-term commitment and dedication is. If a few church planners and cultural leaders throughout the local church in America embraced a holistic view of Christian influence, we could see the tide turn. The church could once again be the culture-shaping influence it has been in past centuries. Second, a unity of message. We must recapture the historical gospel that Christians are called to redeem entire cultures, not just individuals. This one idea is the linchpin of cultural influence. Those who seek the common good of the culture have an increased opportunity for cultural influence, including the hearts and minds of individual people. Third, expressions of the gospel. By embodying the gospel in real and practical ways in our communities, we extend God's common grace through our lives. Without expressing the gospel through authentic motivation and action, our words fall flat. Encourage cultural leaders within your church to work on projects together that express the gospel and advance the common good. And fourth, a commitment to the big idea. We can't get so lost in the details of defending Christianity at every corner that we forget to proclaim the big idea. Christian leaders must work together around the essentials of the Christian faith without getting distracted by denominational divides or minor theological differences. The purpose for Christians having cultural influence is simple, to bring glory to God and to introduce others to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It will take an unwavering commitment to one another and to God's greater purposes to have a chance at gaining ground. The uniqueness of the church channel is that we continually acknowledge God's sovereign work in all things. It is His agenda we work for and not our own. His Spirit can sweep through a nation in ways no tactical or strategic plan could fashion. We must humble ourselves and recognize that He will accomplish His purposes in our generation and that He chooses to work through willing and available people who are more interested in His fame than their own name. I believe that the church is the hope of the world and is positioned like no other channel of influence to shape culture. Its people are called to be in the world. As John Stott puts it, we find ourselves citizens of two kingdoms, the one earthly and the one heavenly, and each citizenship lays upon us duties which we are not at liberty to evade. Although the work of culture creation may take place outside the physical walls of a church building, the local church creates a natural space where social networks of leaders within all seven channels of culture can work towards a common goal. Nowhere else does this potential for synergy exist. Unlike other channels, the church is a living organism where God's Spirit constantly moves and seeks to express Himself through a willing body. Sadly, by focusing on just the spiritual and the afterlife, the Christian church has strayed away from its potential influence in the here and now, positioning itself instead as just another subculture. Many Christians currently hold unique and influential positions throughout the seven channels of culture, but have never been supported by fellow believers. Consider my 34-year-old friend Dan, an amazing leader in the business channel of cultural influence who convenes captains of industry and strategic leaders throughout the free world. He cares deeply about Christian engagement in the place God has called him, but doesn't feel comfortable labeling himself a Christian due to the negative baggage that comes with it. When we first met four years ago, Dan was desperate for a community of believers that could understand him and his life in the culture. He had no community or church that could support him as he tried to fulfill his calling. 
Dan had given up hope and felt like the only Christian in his predicament. His story is all too common. In the work that I do, I come across cultural leaders that feel disconnected from the local church or worse yet, misunderstood or used. The story for some is that the church tends to only be interested in them if the church organization can benefit in some way. Church leaders fail to recognize the current and potential influence these leaders have within the culture and unknowingly drive them away. Still an undeniable opportunity for the church to regain ground still exists. Another friend, John, a top model in the fashion industry, experienced something different in the local church. As he pursued the opportunity to lead a culturally redeeming project, to captivate the vanguard of the fashion industry, he found help and support. His pastor spent time with him and probed deeply to find ways the church could actively support these efforts, whether volunteering to help at local events or assisting in the organizational and administrative details of his project. This church provided the backup John needed to engage where God had placed him. John's Christian community exemplifies a shift in the church. As one piece of a greater movement, we're just beginning to see what might happen. As Tim Keller writes, If we produce thousands of new church communities that regularly attract and engage secular people, that seek the common good of the whole city, especially the poor, and that produce thousands of Christians who write plays, make movies, express creative journalism, begin effective and productive new businesses, use their money for others, and produce cutting-edge scholarship and literature, we will see our vision for the city realized and our whole society changed as a result. This vision demands that leaders in the church wrestle with the complexity of embodying the gospel in culture. As the church rediscovers its unique role in culture and supports the calling of their cultural influencers, it will be a force for good in our communities, cities, and the country. That again was Gabe Lyons reading just a portion of his essay, Influencing Culture, which he wrote ahead of the first Q conference back in 2006. And here it is 15 years later, and Gabe and his team are getting ready for this year's Q conference called the Culture Summit. Again, it's a hybrid event. All the details are available at qideas.org. As we continue today's show, let's listen to more of Gabe. Recently, he sat down with his wife, Rebecca, to talk more about the Culture Summit. So here's their conversation. We're talking about and unveiling our plans for this year's Q 2021 event that we do every year. And I have with me a very, very, very special guest, my wife, Rebecca Lyons. <laughs> By default, your yep, wife. My I love wife. It. It's very First special. my wife, then your Rebecca Lyons. Let's not get that mixed up ever. Okay. And what I love about the journey with Rebecca is when we began this whole vision mission in 2003. So mm-hmm. we're like 18 years. This is the 15th. Q conference. I love it. And so much has happened. So much has changed. And this year is presenting some incredible opportunities we would have never imagined 15 mm-hmm. years ago. And we're going to talk about some of those today for those of you who have been faithful participants in our Q event. We're going to get into some of the details of how that's going to function this year too. Yeah. Having attended every single one of these, you know, um, I have I feel like I've had a front row seat on a master's degree, a graduate degree of just cultural engagement and what faithfulness looks like in that context. And as we know, over the last 15 years, a lot has changed. Um, I think we're more aware of how much we, uh, the church can be influenced by culture or can create, affect change within culture. We've known that from the beginning, but I think 
the visceral, like we feel it more. We feel kind of the, the tensions rising uh, these last few years. And, and then again, that question of what does faithfulness look like starts to become front and center. Yeah. And, and you know what I love about gathering together, which is why this year is so important. And we've got some new ways people can gather this year for 15 years is you do get to see a long run of what ideas have stuck, where there has been change and transformation in the church and Christian leaders, how they're thinking well. And I mean, there's so many spaces where I feel so proud of the conversations that are coming out of the spaces like Q because of the leaders who participate and who take seriously their role in culture. But I'm also excited about the fact that as we move forward into a culture that's changing so dramatically, there's people more hungry probably now than they were 15 years ago right. to know how to engage. Right. What, you know, they've got the big questions like what's happening right now? Where's mm-hmm. this all going? What does faithfulness look like as we try to engage the world, but also hold faithful to our convictions? Uh, these are the tough tensions. And I would say the majority of the church now feels it in a way they didn't 15 years ago. And so we have seen just through our work at Q and Q ideas that so many people are now finding us because they're asking the same questions that the people that have been a part of this community have been working on for many, many years. And in some ways feels like we got a little bit of a head start at least and some resources and some talks and some great conversations that are now helping people think well for the days ahead. Yeah, I think it's good for the church that a Christian, Judeo-Christian perspective isn't assumed anymore culturally. Like I think, you know, even a couple decades ago, it was more assumptive that like we are still a Christian nation or or at least the majority would see ourselves that way. Or call themselves Christian, right? right. Like 75, 78%. Right. Back in 2007 when we had our first cue. Right. And, but that can also create uh, just a complacency yeah. in that like everything's assumed and it's comfortable and predictable and we're not challenged or tested. And really the testing, as we know in James 1, produces endurance, which produces perseverance and maturity where we're lacking nothing. So in some ways, I think where we are heading today is a more robust faith, a more fortified faith that isn't casual or apathetic, but is intent, intentional. And as a result, more compelling, more, yeah. more poignant, at least for me, that's how I'm experiencing it. And I feel like the people I have conversations with are kind of, are, they're sitting forward in their chair. It's no longer like entertain me at church, give me a show, make me feel good about my lifestyle. Yep. It's, it's like, no, how do I, how do I engage a faith that's costly? Yeah, and things I'm, are getting, I'm made for this. And they're getting real for us, for our families. So, so many people that have grown up with Q, you know, we were 27 when we started the organization, I guess 30 when we had our first Q. So a lot's changed. We had little babies then, and now right. they're teenagers and going to college. And, and Asking all those tension yeah, questions. <laughs> it's forced us to know how to talk about our faith to a teenager who's yeah. asking the big questions and has friends asking the big questions. And so, number one, thank you to you for just your faithfulness to journey with me mm. and our team in this. We've had an incredible team, Rob McCloskey, sitting here next to me. Some of you know hey, Rob. Rob because <laughs> he loves that you mentioned been, his name. Well, I know. He's so embarrassed, even though nobody can see him. <laughs> But he's been a part of this journey, helping lead and guide so faithfully for these 15 years. And so I know he's nodding with me like this year feels more important than ever. Like every year has felt that way. But man, when last year happened with COVID and it, you know, we were one of the first events that were sitting in the crosshairs of cancellation because we were late April and everything had canceled. But uh, fortunately, we were able to devise a great plan to still serve you as leaders and provide the virtual summit. So we did the Q2020 virtual summit, over 40 talks, 
And that was amazing. It was like live TV for two days, so many good topics and talks, and we heard so much feedback. We reached more people than we ever had. We had over 10,000 people participate. And so as we looked towards this year, our dates are April 22nd and 23rd. So get that down on your calendar, April 22nd to 23rd. No matter where you're at in the world, you're going to be able to participate. We're calling it, the theme of it's called Culture Summit. So we're just being really simple here because a lot of people don't know what Q2021 means. So we just want to be clear. It's a culture summit. And at the culture summit, we're going to bring together the best leaders, the thought leaders, the people who are experts on every topic you could imagine needing to learn about and needing to better understand as a Christian leader who wants to be faithful. They're going to be a part of this. And we're doing our best to gather and find the creative ways that you can participate. So there's three ways people can participate. One is in-person, very limited in-person gathering due to COVID, due to restrictions. We want to be really careful with that. And so there's there's limited seating for that, for those who um, already have tables they've purchased and all that. We're trying to work with everybody to make that happen as best we can in a much smaller uh, setting. But secondly, this year, we're going to have the opportunity for people to host watch parties and conversation parties and debate parties and all the kinds of parties you need to have around Q because yeah. you don't just watch Q, you yeah. discuss Q, you, you dialogue. It. And so we're creating the opportunity for anybody listening right now that says, you know what, I can't travel to Nashville or I don't want to travel to Nashville. I want to stay right here. I want to bring some of my friends together who are thoughtful. I love dialoguing with, and we're going to journey together over these two days of April 22nd and 23rd and take in these talks, interact with experts through our Q&As digitally that we're going to create for you and then have conversations in the room together about what you're hearing, about what you're thinking, about how you want to plan for the future. And then the third way is simply if you can only watch in isolation because that's best for you from a health perspective or it's just more convenient, you're going to have the opportunity to have a virtual pass and participate like you could have last year. So all kinds of ways to be a part of a very important dialogue going to be happening April 22nd and 23rd. What I love about the the Q attendee or someone who's been to our events in the past is such a thoughtful um, community that doesn't want to just like think and sit on the, you could have a pontificating community, right? Where we just talk about all the ideas and think about them and then talk about them some more and then think about them. This is a very action oriented community that awareness breeds action. And that's what I love about you guys, the listeners here on this podcast, because it's not enough to take in the information. You are compelled. The love of Christ compels you to do something with it and do something about it. And maybe you're hearing Gabe uh, about a watch party and you're like, no, I do not want to host or facilitate a debate in my home. <laughs> I would be, one of, those, be, I would so be one of those people raising my hands. Gabe, on the other hand, just thinks this is awesome because not every one of them type eight on the Enneagram, but me personally don't want to do that. But what we do understand is um, we are wrestling through the tensions of our time and it's called a tension because it creates some tension in the fact that people have convictions um, that don't always look identical um, and it's still empowered by the word of God. You know, it, it's like part of it is we carry different burdens and we're called by God to carry different burdens. So there might be some people engaging certain topics. They're going to feel very passionate about that particular topic. And somebody else is going to be very passionate about something else. It doesn't mean one is right or wrong. It means God's actually uniquely designed us and appointed us with a call and an invitation to be uh, a redemptive work in whatever that area he's given us a passion for. So this is a very passionate people, and I'm excited (laughs) about that, which is why I do also affirm and encourage that you gather with people, if at all humanly possible, because we are a communal people made by a communal God. And 
coming out of a year of isolation, um, we read about this in our liturgy book, Gabe, that that gathering is an act of war. It's yeah. this it's this decision to go. We are not going to alienate and isolate ourselves. The church has always been stronger when it's together. And mm-hmm. so whatever form or fashion that looks like, however small or spread out that needs to be, it's still important to have that nonverbal um, encounter in the same room. Yeah, and, and a verbal encounter, too, verbal if you want to like, debate. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I do think what I love about what you're saying is the enemy seeks to divide us, cr- create disunity, create skepticism towards one another. And that's really easy when we're sitting in our own rooms behind our own screens. Firing away in the comment thread. (laughs) Yeah, the comment thread. Um, And and that's fine. If that's what you need to do, then great, do it. Because we know for some people that's going to be the only way that they can participate. But if at all you can sit with some friends, maybe it's just one other friend. Um, Maybe like last year we had some friends who got together on Zoom and they had Zoom running (laughs) so they could see each other and they could interact with one another while they were also watching this up on their, you know, their big screen. Mm-hmm. So, so there's all kinds of ways to do it, but Q's always been about conversation. I remember talking to Oz Guinness and, you know, a lot of what I've loved doing over these years is getting people in the room, convening people to dialogue, to push on one another, to kind of help sharpen our ideas. And he always would, would say to me, you know, never forget, Gabe, conversation is action. So yeah. when people say to you, well, what's coming out of this or what's the action of all this? It's, it's the fact that Getting together in a room, and I think today it's more than ever, and you said it well, that it's an act of war to gather right now against mm-hmm. the enemy. It's an mm-hmm. act of war to come together and to say, we're going to actually come together. And even if we disagree with one another on some of these topics or issues or how our organization should engage it or our college or institution or our church or our small group or our family, whatever it might be, having space for respectful dialogue is missing in our culture today. Absolutely and, missing. And we have an opportunity April 22nd and 23rd to create all these little hubs and spaces where real conversation can happen amongst believers, some maybe non-believers, about the ways in which our faith calls us and compels us to engage the culture today. And the questions aren't going to get any easier. It's very complex. This isn't simple. And so that's why we have to create the space. If we don't talk about it, we go into our echo chambers. We go into these spaces where we don't become our best selves. We get insecure or we get mad and angry and frustrated. And that doesn't lead to wholesome, godly conduct. Yeah. When you think about the church, our role is iron sharpening iron. There should be some friction there. You don't actually get sharper. You don't grow. You don't mature without actually bumping up against someone who might challenge you in the way you think about things or how maybe you're overlooking something. Maybe there's a blind spot. So iron sharpening iron is of God. It's what he commands the church to do versus, you know, dropping the mic, you know, and leaving the room because you had the last word. And yeah. so that's, that's the difference. We all know this. We're, we're, we're saying what you already understand, but I just think we have to remind ourselves. And that's one thing in the church we don't do enough is like, we know this inherently, but we don't remind ourselves that this is how we must act. This is how we actually should posture ourselves in humility. And so this is a great, a great example of doing this together, being reminded that we're better together, that we, um, that we belong to one another, that we are one in Christ. And this is just a way to embody that. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a few details, but there's so many more on our website. So I want to encourage you to go to qideas.org slash culture summit. And when you go there, you're going to be able to see everything going on with our presentations, experiences for those who are in person, as well as for those joining through watch parties and virtually. But some of the topics, okay, I'm just going to give you a little rundown of some of the ones that we know are important this year. One is Christian nationalism. 
So understanding that conversation and what's happened to lead to this point and what it means for the church in America is going to be critical. We're having Lydia Dugdale with us to talk about the art of dying well. We've seen so many deaths through COVID. I think most of us have had a new experience of grieving and thinking about death. And so she's going to bring a brilliant perspective on how do we think about that, especially from a faith perspective. Talking about fascism with Andy No, who's somebody who's dealt directly with Antifa and been a journalist in that front. Tony Newhoff talking about marriage and divorce and so many marriages ending in divorce right now. This past year has created a, a plenty of those. So many pastors trying to deal with that. She's going to help us better understand how to save marriages before they end. We're talking about the suicide trend. We've seen a complete uptick in suicide taking place, especially amongst the younger generation, but all the way up into the 40s. What is the trend? Why is that happening? We're going to talk about gender. Uh, of course, we have to keep talking about the subjects that our kids are talking about, that the culture is talking about, and understand how to take a, a Christian perspective on that that's faithful, but also cares about loving our neighbors well. There's so many more topics, but the other piece of this experience are going to be live expert Q&As. And yeah. I'm excited about that because every morning and afternoon, we're creating space where you you can choose the Zoom room that you want to be in through Q Media. So good. And you're going to get to interact with experts all over the world on the specific topics that you care about. So we're going to have when this is all said and done, we're going to have over 80 different presenters mm -hmm. and thought leaders that are spending their two days trying to help equip you, those that you lead, those that you are shepherding to better understand how to navigate the world today. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts about when we would meet in, in person was these breakouts in the afternoons that would just jam pack a room and you, you might have a 45 minute window and people would not leave after like an hour, hour and 15 because there's so many questions. So we still want to make room for that in those dialogues and conversations. And I, I think we should definitely coin the room Zoom room. <laughs> I doubt we've coined that. I'm sure somebody else has already done that, but that's awesome. Yeah, a Q room. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy listening to Gabe and Rebecca together. And hopefully in listening to them talk about this year's Culture Summit, you'll want to not only watch yourself, but you'll want to get together a watch party with people you know. Remember, all the details are available now at qideas.org. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons for this Palm Sunday weekend. Have a blessed Holy Week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.